Great to see you this morning. You glad to be here today? All right, man, me too. Hey, why don't you get your Bible and open it up with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today, Nehemiah chapter 8. And while you're turning there, today's a big day for two reasons. One, it is our final commitment Sunday for the Big Give. And so as you give to this uh, initiative, uh, it allows us to complete a, a, a small expansion project right here on our campus and also to plant a church in the Galilee of Israel. And so uh, if you have already given, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we're just shy of halfway of our, our goal. And so many of you have given very generously. Thank you so much for your gifts. I really mean it. It means so much to us and to those that will benefit as a result of this church plant. Uh, if you have not given yet, you certainly can today as you go out in the wooden boxes you can place your gift in there uh, and really throughout the remainder of this year, all right? So uh, big give is a big, uh, big reason for today. Another is we're finishing up our series in Nehemiah. And I want to say thank you to Cameron for doing a great job preaching last week. And give it up for Cameron. He did a great job last week uh, bringing God's word. And uh, so I was actually out of state. I was doing a wedding for a young lady who I actually baptized her when she was a kid. And so now I'm doing her wedding. And then while I was there, I got to meet a newborn baby of another uh, young lady that I baptized when she was little. And now she's having children. I don't know what that means about me. I think there's a reason why this is turning and white is what I think. Uh, but it was a real delight. You know, we love weddings. I love weddings. I love babies. And I think the reason is because it's all about newness, right? I mean, it's all starting over. It's starting fresh, starting anew. And we all love that. We love to start over. We love, we love New Year's because we can say, whoa, that year's gone. And now we're going to start new and start afresh again. Uh, we, we need that in our life. And we need that in our spiritual life too. We need seasons of our life when we can turn a page. We can start over. We can re be refreshed again and renewed again in our spirit. And uh, of course that happens when we give our life to Christ, but we need that even throughout our Christian life. And what we're going to talk about today is how to do that. What are signs when God begins to do something new in you. Title of the message today is A New Beginning, and uh, we're going to talk about how you can experience a new beginning, and we get that from Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me just kind of set up what we're going to talk about today. As you know, Nehemiah was a Jewish man in a high prominent position in the Persian government. He left to go to Israel to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and he was actually very successful. He completed the rebuilding project in 52 days. What took them decades, and they still didn't get it done, Nehemiah was able to do in 52 days. I mean, this was really nothing short of miraculous. And so he, he's completed the project. Now it's just four days before the new year, Rosh Hashanah, which took place on the first day of the seventh month. We're going to read about that in just a minute. And so it's a new year, it's a new day, they have a new wall, there's a new sense of optimism and hope in Jerusalem, and the people have mixed feelings. They, they have feelings kind of mixed with gratitude and guilt a little bit altogether. What I mean by that is that they were certainly grateful that God had worked and God had moved. It was undeniable that only God could do this. But at the same time, they felt guilty 
that God had so moved on their behalf and so protected them when they had disregarded him. I mean, they really had not been pursuing the Lord. These people, this remnant, had returned to the land, but they had not returned to the Lord. And their hearts were still very far from God. And so for God to show up for them, well, they just, they were filled with gratitude and this sense of guilt and this sense of a need for renewal. You know, you may feel that same way. You may have just come out of Thanksgiving and you sat around your table and there was food on it. And you sat in a home and there was a home that that belonged to you and you sat around with family and friends and you can look back on this year and you can see how God has provided and taken care of you and blessed you and yet you look at your own heart toward him and it's kind of mediocre, it's kind of ho-hum, it's kind of going through the motions and maybe you feel the same thing. Maybe you sense a need to start over. You wish that God would do something fresh and new, a a fresh wind, a fresh fire, a fresh moving of God in your own heart, in your own life. Well, we're going to see what that looks like. When, When God starts something new in you, there are some signs. You can actually see it. And I want to give you, if you're taking notes, paper out, pen out, four signs that God is doing something new, stirring up something new in you. Okay, and, and we're going to see them right here in this passage. So I want you to write these, this first one down. Here's the first sign that God is doing something new in you. And that is uh, you, gaining, you gain a hunger for God's word. You have a hunger for God's word. Look at Nehemiah. We're going to look at the very last verse of chapter 7 and then right into chapter 8. This is the word of God. And when the seventh month came... And the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. And they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given to Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And while they were facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who can understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And the scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Skip down to verse five. And Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, all the people stood up And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands lifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. And and then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now stop right there for just a minute. This is the first time that we see Ezra the prophet show up. Everything in this book at this point has been about Nehemiah and Nehemiah's leadership. But now this other guy shows up. His name is Ezra. Ezra was an important figure. In fact, there is a book of Ezra that that is a partner with the book of Nehemiah. Ezra was a priest that actually went to Jerusalem to be a part of the rebuilding project, but he went 14 years before Nehemiah came, all right? So he went with a, a shift before Nehemiah. And when he got there, he found a very wayward people. Yeah, I mean, they wanted to rebuild the city. They had kind of this Zionist idea of rebuilding the city, but their hearts were far from God. They didn't really have a love for God. They didn't have a passion for God. 
and, and it broke Ezra's heart. In fact, you can read in the book of Ezra, he prayed, he says, God, I'm embarrassed by the waywardness of these people, how far they are from you. And so for 14 years, Ezra prayed for revival. For 14 years, every day he got up, he said, God, bring revival. God, bring renewal. God, stir the heart of your people. God, do something to get your people's attention. I don't know if you've ever prayed for somebody to come to Christ or somebody to be renewed in their heart and they haven't and they're still wayward. Maybe you've been praying for somebody for 10 years, some of you for 20, 30 years. You've been praying for that brother-in-law. You've been praying for that, that mother-in-law. You've been praying for that brother, sister, father, mother that they would come to Christ and they still haven't. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up because Ezra was praying and praying for 14 years. And finally, after 14 years, God was about to bring revival and awakening. So here they are, the, the wall is now rebuilt and the people sense that they have a, a spiritual need now, that now they saw God work and they realize that they, they need to return back to the Lord. So they went and got Ezra and they said, Ezra, we want you to come and read the law to us. Ezra, we, we want to hear the word of God. In fact, they built this wooden platform, right? And, and somebody said it's the first pulpit. I don't, I don't know that I believe that, but it, but it, it sounds good. But it, it, it's a good, big platform so they could see him. And there he is, and he's standing up there. And as he unrolled the scrolls, and they all stood together, and they lifted their hands, and they said, Amen. They had this hunger and desire for God to speak to them. Let me ask you something. Do you have a hunger like that for God to speak to you? Do you have a desire for God somehow through his word to penetrate your heart and to speak directly to you? For God to give you a word, do you prepare for it? These people built a platform. They were ready. They stood at attention. They asked for it. They said, God, we want you to speak to us. Do you, when you get in your car on Sunday, you say, I can't wait for God to speak to me. I, I, I'm not coming just for the music. I'm not coming for Craig. I, I just want God to speak out of his word to me so that I can know it's from him. Do you have a hunger? Are you prepared? When the, when the word of God is open, does something stir up in your heart that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear from God's word? I remember years ago, I was in uh, Zambia. We were doing a disciple-making conference there, and we stayed over the weekend, and I got to preach in one of the churches. And as I recall, it was, it was kind of under this big tent, and every seat was filled. They had a choir. They had a lot of great celebration and worship. But they did something there I'd never seen done before. Before the preaching happened, uh, a young Zambian girl would take the Bible and she would walk it up to the platform and she would place it on the pulpit and everyone would stand in honor of the word of God because they knew God's word was about to be open. Listen, do you have that kind of reverence and eagerness and hunger for God? Listen, that's the first sign that God's doing something new. When God gives you this desire for his word like that, when God begins to stir in your heart for his word. I remember when I was in college, I experienced something like this. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. Uh, I, I remember in college, I, I, just, I had been very wayward uh, spiritually, very... Um, 
just in a not a good spot and God was getting my attention and finally God was getting my attention. One of the things that happened was he gave me this hunger for his word. I mean, I couldn't get enough. I was reading his word all the time. I was taking notes. I was, and, I, and I loved this one Bible preacher and, and uh, I loved to listen to him. But I couldn't afford the tapes at the bookstore. You know those tapes? They had these things called, kids, you don't understand, but they had these things called cassette tapes back, back in the day. Can somebody say amen to that? And, uh, and so I remember I couldn't afford to buy the tape. They said, well, we'll sell you a copy of the tape for a quarter. And I said, great. And so I bought as many as I could, and I would put them in my Walkman. Somebody say amen again. And, and I, I remember walking across campus, and I'm just listening to these tapes over and over and over and over and over. I mean, same sermon over again. Why am I doing that? for hours I'm listening to this Bible preacher why not because I loved him but I was hungry I was hungry for God's God's word for God to speak to me listen the first sign that God's doing something new in you is when he stirs up a hunger for your let me ask you something you probably have a lot of Bibles in your house but is your home really built on God's word do you talk about it with your family at all do you spend time in God's word? Are you eagerly in the morning, can't wait to get to a, a Bible and a, and, a, and a light so I can write down what God is saying? Are you uh, digesting it in your soul? Are you in a Bible study? Are you seeking God? If not, then that's a problem. And that's really where it all begins, right? Asking God to give you a hunger for his word, 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn infants crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that you can grow up in it. So one of the first signs here and the first signs in you that God is gonna do something stirring up in you, God's gonna do something fresh, a new work in your life is when he starts to stir up this hunger and this desire for God's word. And I hope that even now there's a sense of conviction that man, I, I don't hunger after God's word like I want to and like I should. God, give me a hunger for your word. A second sign, uh, jot this down, is a conviction over my sin. Once you hear from God's word, then there's a conviction. Look at verse eight. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Now, Get this, uh, Ezra is up there on the platform and he's reading the law, right? He's reading it and it says that there were these other Levites, he mentioned 13 of them, there are other Levites that are actually translating the word and explaining the word. Now why did they need that? Well, number one, these people didn't speak Hebrew. They had grown up in Persia. They were, they were in exile. Most, most of these people were born in exile. They didn't know the, the actual language. Can you imagine that? They were so steeped in their own culture, they could not fully understand what God's word was saying. And yet, so they had to have someone translate it, and then they had to have someone explain it, right? Not only is this what it says, now this is what it means, and by the way, you need to have both. You need to have the word of God in your language, but you also need someone to explain it. Some of you understand that because you're like, Craig, I would love to get into God's word, but man, every time I get in there, I get buried in Leviticus, and it's something about, you know, these and thous and this and that, and Hittites and Jebusites and all these ites, and I, I don't understand any of it. I can't make heads or tails of it. 
Well, that's why when you come here, we open up the Bible and we teach you what God's Word says. That's called expository teaching. When you exposit, when you, when you deliver what the Word actually says. We need more teaching of the Word of God and, and less opinion. We, we need more teaching of the Word of God and less uh, good ideas. We, we don't need anything new, amen? Don't give me anything new, man. Just give me what's in the book, right? Just open up the book and tell me what it says, and that's what happened here. They're, he's opening up the book. They're interpreting it. They're explaining what it means. And for the first time, they're hearing what they've never heard before. And their heart is broken over it. Because they see how wayward they are. How much God has loved them. How much God has done for them. And how wayward they have become. And they begin to weep when they're broken over their own sinfulness. Listen, anytime God's word gets in your heart, it's going to bring conviction. God's word, it says, is like a hammer. It comes and it breaks apart the hardened, calloused parts of our heart. The Bible says God's word is like a sword. It cuts right down to the core of who we are and exposes our sin and our intentions and our attitudes, all the stuff that hinders us from God. God's word is like a fire. It, 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 it reveals what's there. All these are metaphors for the word of God. And, and we need that kind of teaching. We need that kind of spotlight because it, that's the only way that you can find renewal. In Acts chapter 3, it says this, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, listen, there has to be a place of repentance before you can ever get to refreshing. A lot of people want to get to refreshing, but they don't want to go through repentance. You can't do that. It's not the way it works. In fact, the reason why God reveals our sin to us is not because he wants us to pay for it or to feel bad about it. It's because he wants to remove it from you so that you can be free to know him and to walk with him and experience renewal and refreshing. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a renewed heart? Wouldn't it be awesome if God were somehow in some way able to refresh you again just like when you were first saved? It happens when you hear the word of God and you come clean with God about your own sinfulness, your own waywardness, your own callousness, your own distractions. And you'd be broken before God. These people were broken. I mean, their tears were streaming down their face. They were hearing God, but they were sensing him move in their hearts. And I just love what, what happens here in verse 10. Check out verse 10. It says, Then they said to them, Go and eat. Uh, what is rich and drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since the day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve because the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, hey guys, this is the new year. This is, <laughs> this is a good day, you know, and I know you're brokenhearted, but, but hey, this is a time to eat rich food and drink good drinks, and that sounds like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? All right, and share it with somebody else and, and celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, we, we love that verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength. In fact, we just sang that, the first song, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? It means when you need strength, when you can't put one foot in front of the other, when you are beaten down, 
When you are discouraged, when you're alone, when you are, when you are burdened, heavy burdened, when you don't think you could put one foot in front of another, how in the world do you find strength to keep moving forward? Where do you find strength to keep going and keep living and keep doing what God calls you to do? He says you find it in the joy of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, what is the joy of, of our Lord? What, what was Jesus joyful about? Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? He, he was going to the cross, but he wasn't just looking at the cross. He was looking at what was beyond it. To all the lives that would be saved, all the lives that would be redeemed, all the celebration in heaven. When people are saved because of his sacrifice, that brought him great joy. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, when Jesus was filled with joy, it was because people were hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. Jesus told him in John 15, my joy I give you so that your joy will be full. What is this joy? It is your adoption. It is your salvation. The joy of the Lord is the fact that though you did not deserve it, that Christ has forgiven you, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you are made new in Jesus Christ and he's, he has lavished his grace on you and called you his son and his daughter. Now tell me, is that good news or what? That is good news. And listen, my friends, no circumstance can ever change that. You may be broke, but, but you are a son of the king. You, 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 you may be going through a rough time, but, but you are his child. And he loves you when his mercies never end and his grace is new every morning. That is the joy of the Lord that will sustain you when you want to quit, when I feel like I'm beaten down, I can't keep going. No, the joy of the Lord that I'm saved, that I'm his son, I'm his daughter, that he chose me and he saved me and he adopted me and I'm new in him. And no matter what happens, what happens in my life, what comes against my life, that I'm going to trust him. That is the joy of the Lord. That is where your strength lies. And so he said, hey guys, just wipe your face, wipe the tears away. I know you're convicted over your waywardness. I know you're overwhelmed because of how far you drifted. But listen, God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. All that's in the past. We're starting anew. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want God to do something new in you? It starts with a hunger for his word. It starts with a conviction over your sin and a thankfulness of his grace. But then that fuels something else. Jot this down. Uh, a new commitment to obey him. A new commitment to obey him. Look at, verse, look at verse 13. On the second day, okay, all that was just the first day, all right? That was a big first day, wouldn't you think? On the second day, the family heads of all the people along with the priests and the Levites assembled before the scribe Ezra to study the words of the law. All right, they're just going back for more. Well, that was a great first day. Let's, let's keep it going. Look at verse 14. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival on the seventh month. That's the month they're in. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout the whole towns and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees and make shelters just as it is written. The people went out 
And they brought back branches and made shelters for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards, the courtyard of the house of God, the square of the water gate, the whole uh, community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. And the Israelites had not celebrated this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. Now, what, what is going on here? So they go back for the second round, right? And they're listening to Ezra. And Ezra reminds them in the word that on this month, they're supposed to celebrate a festival. They're supposed to celebrate a harvest festival. And part of that festival was they go out and they make these tents with just, you know, kind of like on Survivor, right? You know, with just branches and whatnot. They make these little portable tents and they dwell in them for a week. And what do they do? <laughs> Why is everybody living in tents? Because they're going to relive, kind of reenact what happened when God called the Israelites out of Egypt. So they get in the tents and the dad tells a story. Well, man, we were... Uh, Kids, we were, we were slaves in Egypt and God showed up with great power and this man named Moses came and God worked through him and, and all these plagues and, and then, then we all left and we got to the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's army was behind us and God split open the Red Sea and we went across and Pharaoh's army was drowned and then it was incredible and then we were in the wilderness and, and, and there, was this, there was this manna that we ate, this kind of white stuff that fell on the ground and then there was this quail that was brought in by the wind and there was this rock that, that gave out water and then there was a day that the sun stood still and I mean you're not and they're telling all these stories of God's faithfulness and God's goodness and they're reminding each other what God has done and they hadn't done this festival in a long time he said we it wasn't done just like this since the days of Joshua which was a thousand years earlier but now they were coming back to do the things God told them to do that they had neglected. Listen, when, when God begins to stir something new in you, not only will there be a hunger for God's word, not only will there be a sense of conviction over your sin, but there will be some things that need to change. Some things that you have neglected, you're going to start to do again. And some things that you've done you're going to need to stop doing. In fact, in chapter 10, you can do that for your homework. Read that in chapter 10. It's a whole list of the things they're going to stop doing and the things they're going to start doing. What would happen if today you went home and you said, God, I have been indifferent to you, God, and your word has spoken to my heart and I'm convicted of my sin. And God, I'm going to pull out a piece of paper and I'm going to write down, here's something I'm going to stop doing that I know do not please the Lord. Words I'm using, things I'm watching, places I'm going, relationships I'm in, habits I've formed, things that, that I know, God, are grieving your spirit every time I do them. God, I'm going to not do those anymore and I'm going to make a list of some things I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start getting in community. I'm going to start start prioritizing being in worship. I'm going to start studying your word. I'm going to start sharing my faith. I'm going to start praying. I haven't prayed in such a long time. What if you made a list like that? What, what, if, what if God were to stir you to change? That's what's happening right here. These people are being stirred up to be different, to change the Apostle Paul called this taking off 
the old and putting on the new. Remember in our study in Colossians? Nod at me that you remember that, okay? We studied that together, all right? He said, take off these old habits and put on some new habits. Some of you, you need to take off some things. And you need to put on some things to show that God's doing something new in you. And it'll happen. I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. People look at you and go, whoa, what? You're kind of acting new or that's different. Yeah, God's doing something new in me. Four signs, God's doing something new in you. A hunger for God's word, a conviction over my sin, a new commitment to obey the Lord. Here's the a, here's a last one. I've got to wind it up here. Look at the end of verse 17. A passion to worship. A passion to worship. Look at the end of verse 17. And there was tremendous joy. The result of all of this was joyful worship. The result of them hearing the word, the result of them dealing honestly with God in their sin, the result of them uh, making a list of the changes that are going to be made and sticking to that list and, and making those changes, renewing the things that they had neglected, the, re the, the result of all of that was a, a renewed worship and a renewed passion for worship. A, a revival, a renewal, a refreshing that seemed to flow through the people of God. Uh, they weren't even the same people that they used to be. What Ezra had been praying for for 14 years was finally coming true. A renewal, a spiritual awakening was happening. God was at work. If you fast forward through uh, to chapter 12, then you find that this worship takes its ultimate expression in the dedication of the wall. They finally complete the wall. Now they're going to dedicate the wall, right? And so they, they've got this big worship service plan. They send all these priests down one side of the wall, another priest on the other side of the wall. they got a massive choir. they got an awesome band. And everybody's singing and celebrating and worshiping. And it said it was so loud that the enemies of God could hear them celebrating and worshiping. Can you imagine? Would you love to be teleported to that moment and just see what that was like? I, I'll never forget one of my first times I ever went to Israel. I, we were staying in this hotel and they were having some kind of party. I don't know if it was a, I guess it was a wedding maybe. Some, I, nobody told me what it was, but it was a festive party. And then they had a lot of, lot, of, lot of dancing going on and a lot of singing, a lot of loud music, everybody cheering. And, and people were like putting people on their shoulders. And I mean, it was, it was a raucous party. I mean, they were getting on with the party. And, and they were shouting and they were cheering and they were dancing, they were laughing. And I mean, it, it, was, it was this incredible celebration. Maybe that's what was happening here. Maybe the whole town was just celebrating what God had done. A renewed for passion, a, new, a renewed passion for worship. That's what was happening. And their worship overflowed in giving. You just read the next verse. It says, and not only that, but they began to give and they, they realized they hadn't given a tithe. And so they said, well, why aren't we doing this? Well, we need to do this. That's what God said. And so they started giving again and it wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't out of duty. It wasn't because they had to. It's because uh, why would I not when all that God has given me, that I get to be a part of what God is doing? And so their giving came out of joyful worship. You know, we think worship is just about music, but that's not true. Worship is about exalting Jesus and us submitting to him. That's what worship is. And so part of that is in our music. Part of that is, is in, in our words that we sing, but it's more than that. It's also in our preaching. It's in our praying. It's in our serving. And it's in our giving. And they said, we want to worship full fold. 
We want to give all that we are. And the people were renewed because God did something new in them. Listen, folks, if we ever lived in a day when we needed God to do something new, it's now. We need God to do something new in our nation. But before God will ever do anything new in our nation, he's got to do something new in his church. We have churches filled with just mediocre Christians, right? Going through the motions, just like the Israelites were. But listen, before God can do anything new in our church, he's got to do something new in you. And maybe today is when the new work begins. Maybe today in opening up the word of God, God's begin to convict you that you're not really as passionate for him as he is for you. That you don't love him as much as he loves you. That you've, not, you've neglected the word, you've neglected him, you've allowed sin to creep in. And maybe today there's something inside of you that longs for something new. God wants to do something new in you. And that's why Jesus came, is to renew you. You know, the, uh, the book of Nehemiah is chronologically one of the last books of the Old Testament. If you put them in chronological order, it would be one of the last books of the Old Testament. What that means is that the next greatest figure to come after Nehemiah is Jesus. And that just as Nehemiah came to a people that could not help themselves living in rubble without any ability to save themselves, Jesus came 400 years later to a people like you and like me, people that are broken, people that have rubble in our own lives, people who have been through hurt and pain, people that have hurt others, people that have sinned against God, and he came to redeem us, to put our lives back together and to make something beautiful of our lives so that we can glorify him. Peter said, yeah, we're like living stones, but we're built together to be a house of God. Jesus is the ultimate builder of his people and he came for you. He came to that same Jerusalem to die on that same cross, to rise again, so that you could be made new again, so that he could do something new in you. Isn't it time? Isn't it time that God does something new in you?